0: If you're a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast. Um, Slightly different episode today, just as enjoyable but a different focus. Myself and founder of Pitch, uh, Sol Cuttle, joined us to... Have a chat with uh, three scouts or talent identifiers or recruiters, however, you might classify them. Uh, Scott Curry from West Bromwich Albion, Jamie Atkins from Tottenham Hotspur, and Jack Coles from Leicester City joined us to discuss scouting, player development, recruitment, the role of the coach. Uh, the future of scouting what the future player might look like so a really interesting conversation slightly different to our usual one but just as informative and and some real good nuggets of wisdom shared so I'm sure you're going to enjoy this Um, this is myself, Sol Cuttle interview with Scott Curry, Jamie Atkins and Jack Coles Welcome back everybody, we are back for another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast and today I'm delighted to welcome several guests, uh, myself and uh, joined by a good friend of mine and founder of Pitch, sponsor of the show, Saul Cattell. Soul is with us today um, we're going to be chatting to... Um, Scott Jamie and Jack who I'll, I'll let them guys introduce themselves today's focus is a little bit different to some of the previous episodes we're going to talk about scouting player recruitment talent identification um, and how that links in with the coaching process and, and some stuff like that so really interested to to pick these guys brains I'll, I'll let them introduce themselves so if you start with yourself Scott if you could just introduce who you are what your current role is and
1: I'd be interested to see sort of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so my name's Scott Currie. I currently work in the recruitment department at West Bromwich Albion. Um, so, I, my, <laughs> my background's a bit of an interesting one. I started in coaching. So, I started at Coventry City as lead foundation phase coach um, and then moved to West Wolfhampton Wanderers for a short time. Went back to Coventry as head of recruitment. And now I'm at West Brom where I've been for the last 18 months, obviously working with Lee.
2: Cheers, mate. What about yourself, Jamie? Uh, Jamie Atkins um, so I um, I work for Tottenham Hotspur so I do all of their um, sort of scouting and uh, recruitment in the <clears throat> in the Midlands area so my sort of main focus is sort of 14s to to 23s um, just basically looking at sort of the the the, the squads that Tottenham have um, between those ages and basically just going out and Seeing if I can find sort of any individuals that can sort of further better the squads and um, you know hopefully sort of push towards that first team in in the next couple of years. Good stuff. What about before this World, Jamie? What What's your background before um, that? So I come from a, a football sort of background, a football family. Um, My my dad used to play football and sort of just grew up with with football. Um, And then probably about 10 years ago, I I started working for a a local sort of scouting network called Scout 7, which is based in the uh, in the Birmingham area. And that was more sort of working on behalf of a lot of like league one, league two and like national league clubs. And that was like going out to, to games and doing sort of first team match reports for, for clubs that they could then pick up my, my report and uh, use it as their sort of battle plan, if you like for, 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 you know, their, their next game. Um, so I did that for a good sort of five or six years. And then, um, I went to Sheffield Wednesday. So I was there sort of first team, um, first team sort of match reports um so I used to sort of directly work with like the the manager and, and and the assistant and again I'd sort of go to to first team games in the championship and um put sort of battle plans together again as I say as to you know uh, clubs that they were going to be facing in, in the next couple of weeks and watch their games and sort of see how they play see how they set up um, and then sort of just have my own little spin on it, you know, in terms of, you know, what what I think the, the team should po- possibly look to do to sort of win the game or areas that they could maybe like nullify attacks and stuff. So um, it was it, it was, uh, you know, I did that for a good two, two or three years, which was which was great because obviously that was first team stuff um, and whatnot. But as I say the last sort of four or five years I've uh, I've been at Spurs doing sort of academy stuff, which is uh, which has been great, to be fair. I enjoy it. Great stuff. Appreciate that. And how about yourself, Jack?
3: Yeah, hello. Um, my name's Jack Coles. Uh, I work at the moment here with Leicester <laughs> City Football Club and I'm uh, an academy recruitment analyst. Um, so probably my role is uh, primarily around using match footage to provide reports for players that, uh, we're identifying for the academy, uh, and to try and develop um, systems for an effective use of um, some data, uh, and then some other metrics to help us decide if players are going to be good enough to bring in, and, and etc. Um, but I've I've coached in the past. Um, I started off as a coach at um, uh, for youth team at Lemington FC, which is a non-league team in in Warwickshire, uh, and then. between those two jobs, I've I've worked for Northampton Town for, um, I was there for about four years in different capacities, but the final uh, job role I had before I left was the head of academy analysis. So, um, that was much more around match analysis um, and tactics and working closer with a coach to try and produce a program for the players to assist their performance. Uh, So, not so much around recruitment and then Leicester City was was sort of full on recruitment, but the the skills I use in my Leicester job I, I probably got in the Northampton role around videos. So. Fantastic,
0: I appreciate that, gents. What what I'd like to to, to get a little bit of an insight with, and we, we'll stick with you to start with, Jack, if you if you can. What oh. a lot, there's a there's a lot of people out there who who would love to who have the dream of working in football, and and you guys are. Are fortunate to to do that in a, a scouting capacity, but what does sort of day to day look like for you as a full time scout working in a football club? So yourself, Jack, what is your typical obviously at the moment things are probably a bit different, but yeah. um <laughs> all, all, yeah, all this yeah, yeah. what does what does a day in the life of, of a of you look like at at Leicester?
3: Um well, I, I, part of my role is to go and identify players pitch side um, and that's always been part of my job and it was always part of the role when I came in um, and partly something I was attracted to the role for. Um, but week to week, generally, probably maybe more so than the other people uh, talking this evening, I'm kind of desk-based, office-based um, and I'm watching a lot of video uh, and using the analysis packages uh, hurdle sports code um, the kind of um, ubiquitous kind of uh, software that, that, that are used in, in my sort of world I suppose um, so we watch footage or I watch footage of, of games that we've we've sourced and, and, and write reports on the players there sometimes that's completely um, with no preconception you know we've not seen a player we've not seen someone that we want we're just watching the game fresh and flagging up what we see. But sometimes it's more specific. You know, there's a game involving a player that we're interested in and, and we're trying to kind of find out as much as we can to find out whether they would be a success or not in our Academy. Um, so it's a lot of watching football. Uh, it's something if I was to have a conversation with my 14 year old self, I would have, uh, gone crazy to think it's, uh, something to I actually do for a living now. But, um, it's a lot of watching football. Uh, and I'm a lucky guy, and uh, yeah, it's kind of probably more the desk-based role, if you like. Okay, superb. And um, Scott, does does your
0: day-to-day role differ to that much, or is it is it similar? What What does your day look like?
1: I think mine's quite similar in terms. Of in the day, it's very desk-based. It's kind of catching up with coaches, like early part of the week after the weekend, liaising with them about current trials we've got in age group targets. I think kind of our setup at West Brom is a little bit different. At Leicester, we're not necessarily targeting players to go and buy. So ours is more kind of a, as Leicester's will be kind of at younger ages, kind of a grow-your-own policy. So ours is more about kind of our development centres, our kind of unique little projects we've got going on. So it's more managing them areas and then liaising with yourself, like yourself, Lee, kind of during the week on try this, current targets in your age group, and then just devising a battle plan from there. Yeah, I love that.
0: And Jamie, anything from those two that similar to you, or is your role very different?
2: To, um, to be honest with you, I think for me, there's not a lot of desk-based work. To be honest with you, and uh, a lot of mine is sort of being out on the road um, and going to games. And I think because because I'm based in the Midlands, I'm I'm sort of the furthest scout north of of London. So there's a lot of coverage for me to go and watch. Um, Midlands-based teams, but also um, because I'm so close to, to the M to the M1, I could find myself sort of going up to Nottingham and and, and Sheffield and 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 you know Leeds, Bradford. Um, but again, I'd only probably go that far if there was a, a specific target, if you like, that you know we uh, we had identified to go and see. So a lot of my work usually is around the Midlands, but um, where it's probably different to to the other guys, it's. I'm sort of a a lot more on the road and it's just going to games, it's watching games. And then obviously we'll we'll have our own format on sort of putting reports into the system. So all of our reports go into one system so everybody at the club can see it. And I think, um, you know, sometimes if London-based clubs come up to, the midlands area it might not be that i'm watching necessarily a, a player from the midlands area it might be that i'm doing a second third or even fourth report on a player that's come up from um the, the london area just because i think the club like to know like to have sort of different opinions and different reports on a player before they sort of go ahead and maybe look to buy them i don't think they they will never really buy a player off the back of one report or two report it's probably more like a good 15 or 20 reports off maybe four or five different people
0: yeah I love that that's a <clears throat> that's a great insight from from the three of you actually and a real variety in sort of roles and, <clears throat> and, and day-to-day tasks but at the same time a lot of similarity so digging dig now into sort of players themselves and, and, and sort of what you guys might look for one of my questions I wanted to ask you was is there any and again, please um, take this question in a way that most um, suits you guys with the ages you might work on. But is there a specific, any traits or, or sort of anything you look for when you're out there watching a game or watching players in terms of to help you spot potential? Uh, start with you, Scott. What, what, what Are there? Is there any key things that when you're out watching you think these are going to grab my eye or, or any sort of KPIs which which are most important to you as a as a scout or a
1: recruiter of talent? I, I think the things that I'm kind of immediately drawn to is kind of his technical ability and then kind of his athletic abilities and not necessarily is he the biggest, strongest, quickest, but does he move well? Can he get around the pitch? You know what I mean? Is he agile? Can he look after himself on the pitch? They're, they're, the, they're the two things for me. And I think one that's really grown and developed lately is kind of the player's personality, which I know... Is kind of hard to watch in a game, but I think little things, little key triggers. You can watch his temperament, kind of how he reacts with his teammates, how he communicates with his teammates, and I think there's some some big ones for me. I think his technical ability is important because he's coming into an elite environment and he has to have some ability on the ball. But I think kind of physically and your personality traits are a big one to me as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, Jack. Anything different from you? Then I know you you might sort of be watching specific players, but what are the key things that you're, you're sort of must-haves or, or or key areas for for those you are watching?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it comes led from a, an area of kind of individual bias and, you know, I know that's obviously in football and the scouting that can be, be a difficult word, but I think, I think most of us have got biases around the kind of players that we like and you know, for, for example, I, I'm always looking for kind of underdogs and, and I, because I like the idea that you can develop them. And um, I, I suppose that is the sort of stuff I take to a touchline because it is hard to, to remain objective when you're there. But I look for um, probably dribbling ability, dribbling strength, drib- the amount of times he's attempting to dribble. If he's, um, if he's successful or unsuccessful, for me, depending on the age he is, is, is a different story. But certainly for younger players. I'm probably a bit fixed because I went to a, a tournament uh, at the foundation phase yesterday to look at some players, so I'm probably thinking more about them, but um, certainly dribbling as a, as a big one. Um, and then just the amount, uh, the, the quantity of their technical actions, again, whether they're successful or unsuccessful, to me is, is, is a separate conversation about uh, when they get older, but I think for a lot of raw talent uh, if you're looking at grassroots or something it's just the amount of times they're doing something and if they're playing a a bad pass and the pass doesn't pay off they were still in the space to play that pass and I think there's an interesting uh, approach with players who can remain in the game despite things not coming off Um, but I mean again it it is hardly because I work from under nines up to under 17 so the it's hard to qualify everything I say with the necessary kind of uh, <laughs> caveats. But but broadly, I enjoy looking at players who can dribble uh, and players who are involved in the game a lot, to summarise a, a ramble. Yeah, here. yeah.
0: No, I like that. And I, I think something we spoke about on previous podcasts with with coaches is around intention over outcome. I like, like you said there. For sure. Are they continuing to try things? Are they positive? Are they even if things are not going right or it might just be the execution, but the decision-making was right. I think that's really important. One thing I was going to ask you, um, Jamie, Jack touched on it there with your sort of role. When does potential uh, sort of at what age or stage does potential start to switch for you towards performance? Um, Cause I guess if you're looking at a 23 year old player, although they're still a young player, but there has to be elements of the performance and success and and continuity rather than just he's a promising player. what are your thoughts around
2: that when does that start to shift for you as a as a scout? um to be honest with you I think when when i when I watch games and 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 especially nowadays a lot of clubs I, I can't speak of probably outside the midlands just because that's my area but a lot of a lot of clubs are now filtering younger players into their sort of under 18s and their under 23s so naturally when you when you see you know a a, a good 14 15 year old in his own age group I think you start to see the potential when you actually see them playing with older players and I think a lot of it comes down to the the consistency as well like you know at the the end of the day these, these boys are you know 16 17 18 they're Under twenty-three football now they're playing with they're playing with men, um, who are obviously a lot, you know, physically stronger and more developed than they are. Um and, and, and for me I think I think it's it's more about the consistency for me. Can can you watch a player play in an age group that's probably stretching himself a little bit, but if you can see the consistency there with the player, I think that's when you sort of see the potential in the player. Yeah.
0: And is that that must be quite tricky for you to find out? the players are at a, at a level which is stretching them, or is it their own? That must be difficult for anyone as scouts. If you're just watching a game, sometimes it's hard to realise is a player playing out of their comfort zone, whether it be physically, or whatever, or are they? That must be I, a challenge.
2: I think. I think. I think. I think because of my work with Spurs, because I've done it for five years now, I think over the five years, I've been able to watch players who were 14, 15 at the time, who are now probably 17, 18, 19. And you actually see their development from age group to age group. Now, naturally, the older that they get... If the club thinks that there's promise in them, or if you think, "Oh, okay, yeah, they're slightly different, they stand out," the better ones, as the famous saying sort of goes, you know, the cream always rises to the top, and and you always see the better players playing ahead of themselves. You'll see you'll see them being pushed, playing in a higher age group, maybe playing out of position in their own age group, because. They probably can, not because it's their favoured position, but you always notice little things that you think that's where the potential is because they're they're they they're able to play in a higher age group, but also they can play in different. That you know, a coach might throw them into a different position, and they'll be able to cope with that straight away. Whereas some boys, you know, unfortunately can't. Yeah, Scott, I was gonna I was gonna ask you a question
0: along those lines. You might be good one to kick us off on this because of. The, the structure in, in your club and, and also your your previous roles as a coach. But how, like, Jamie touched on it there, but how can coaches best help their talented players? What are your opinions on that?
1: I, I think the best ones when they're ready, I, I totally agree with Jamie, the best ones when they're ready should go and stretch themselves and play up. Because I've seen a lot of players over the past who haven't done that. And I think it's harmed them later on. So I think, like, I think it's important for them to sometimes go and, be the best player on the pitch. And I think it's fine the balance of it. But I think your best ones have to go and play off. I think your most talented ones, you have to go and stretch them, go and play them against older players, go and play them with better players in the age group above. And, and I think you'll really go and see their ability there. As so I think like at, at Coventry, we carried small squads. So it naturally happened with some players. And at times some players weren't ready, but they found their level and coped. But some players were, were desperate for it and, and they got exposure at, sometimes two, two age groups above themselves, which, which was great for them. And, and what about if
0: if we're looking at the grassroots game? I know some grassroots clubs what, they might not have age groups above or, or it might be quite because it's sometimes a lonely job being a, a, a grassroots coach you might not know age groups up or, or or below. So is there anything that you'd encourage coaches to try and do? with their players within their groups to, to really stretch them or or help them develop even further?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think like Jamie might have touched on it there, but I think if I was correct, they were about playing players out of position, playing in different positions. If he's an attacking player, you might go and play him defensively just to throw him totally out of his comfort zone. But then I think on the flip side, he then sees the role that he's playing against. So he might then develop that way. So I think that's a there's loads of interesting ways in grassroots that players can still challenge players enter tournaments where they go and play up and things like that and go and play in old age groups, go and arrange friendlies against older older teams. So you, you take the physical elements away and it's a real stretch for their technical and tactical development then.
0: Yeah, excellent. Jack, on on that one, uh, Scott mentioned about playing out of positions and stuff. What are your opinions on early specialisation with regards positioning or do you think uh, all-rounded development is, is more important from a sort of, if you're looking at player potential and, and sort of that elite player, what do you reckon is mm-hmm. is a? Um,
3: yeah, I mean, I it's a difficult question. I suppose I will not answer it. because <laughs> no, I, I think that you've got because talent development is is non-linear to some extent. You, you, there's a, there's a big element of randomness in there, um, and I know that. Of, of examples of successful players who've come out of four four two systems, you know, hard four four two, up every age, you know, and 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 just kind of beast and own that that position within that system. Um, and then, you know, probably most listeners would would, would be vainly aware of the the Dutch idea, or, or obviously it's spread around a bit now. But players playing all over the pitch and and doing what they can in every position. I think that different players for different needs really if if you're a grassroots coach and you think that I, i'm not sure your your first consideration should be how can i make this player kind of in the shop window uh, i think your your best idea is to do what's best for your team and, and best for the player um and I, I think that good players will be what jamie was saying you know i think the cream will, will rise to the top or you you, you would certainly hope so
0: yeah. So, what? What about on that one, Jamie? What um, What would you recommend to any coaches that, that do have a very talented player? Is there would you be pushing them in a certain way? Be it play, getting their players at the highest level, or is it around um, just challenging them as much as they can? Or do you recommend they contact? Local clubs to, to get players exposure. What 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 if a coach has
2: a really, ex- a really they can uh, ring me, Lee.
3: I'll give them my telephone number. <laughs> Sorted.
2: I think um, to be honest, I think I think again, I think Scott touched upon it briefly. I think I think what again. I'm only talking Midlands base, but I know I know a couple of clubs in that are grassroots football. They they naturally have now affiliations with. Um, Professional sides. So I know, for instance, Aston Villa have a have a um, sort of a link with uh, a, uh, a another team in in Birmingham that's grassroots. And then, and what happens is, any any good players that show promise at a grassroots level, Villa sort of have that first sort of refusal, if you like, because they're they're linked with the club to actually have a look at the player. Um, I think that's happening more and more now. That sometimes you you might not have enough scouts to go and watch all these games. So by having affiliations with grassroots clubs, I think actually it's a great idea because you're you're linking a professional name to a team that um, you know might produce a player or two or have good players, and and I think that's how you know, some clubs do go about their business because at the end of the day, not every club has, you know, money to spend on, on players. So they have to find the next best thing of 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 sort of, you know, finding young players to bring through from, from an early age, which is a great idea. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. becoming more and more common, is it? What what are your thoughts on that, Scott? Is that the only I mean, way
1: or is it No, we, we operate quite that, that's quite a substantial part of our recruitment plan. So we we work with kind of let me get my maths right now six grassroots organizations who are kind of all inner city based all kind of providing local boys opportunities to play and 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 the club at the West Brom have done that for a number of years they actually two years ago and it wasn't my project at all it was a previous head of recruitment they set their own grassroots club up in kind of an area which had had no football club so they made the devised the plan like so Albion which has now got under sevens through to under twelves, and it provides kind of local boys within the area an opportunity to come and play football, kind of with a, a big link to West Bromwich Albion. It's free of charge for under sevens to nines, and in a reduced rate, kind of the, the rest of the age groups. And that's largely funded by the football club. And I think we've we've signed. It's kind of a growing project. There's two boys that have come through it, with a number of boys then kind of in our development programs. And it's it's a really interesting project to kind of see how it grows over the next few years
0: yeah I like that just speaking around grassroots clubs and 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 pathways what what are the pathways like now and has it has it changed over the over the past few years now pathways I might mean maybe root routes that players can find themselves with a a professional career or or a contract at a club is are the routes Uh, pathways any different to what they used to be start with with yourself jamie what are
2: your experiences of that Uh, um again only only over the last five years because of, of of doing this um i i would have to say that i'm not necessarily entirely sure and i think again just touching upon what we spoke about um previously that i think the, the, the pathways now, if you think about how many kids want to be professional footballers, I'm, I'm definitely a, of the advocate that yes, you have your sort of position that you prefer to play, but there's so many players that want to come into an academy setup and be professional footballers that I think that it's, it's vital that, yeah, you have your position that you play, but from time to time, you might just be thrown into the deep end to play in a different position. And, and and the reason why I believe that is because what happens if that club that you're with, they sign a player and they see maybe more potential in that player, they might then see you maybe um, not as a striker anymore. They might see you as a, a number 10. They might see you as a winger. So I think the more positions that, that you can play, the better because I think you're giving yourself a lot, lot more opportunity to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, especially it's very. It's not very often that when a young player makes a debut that they play in their actual position, is it? Sometimes you'll often see it that they'll. they might have been a central player all or, or their academy or, or youth career, and then they're making debuts out wide. So yeah. I think that's a a really important factor. Just a quick question on that, Jack and and Scott, jump in as well. There, what are you sort of? What are your um, Experiences of, of players not coming through the academy system. Has, has that kind of pathway flourished or, or changed over the last few years? Because there's thousands of football players and, and not thousands of academy spaces. So has that kind of route to, to senior career changed or developed
3: over time? Um, well, I mean, from my perspective, I think probably the... You know, the relatively contemporary change in the age you need to be to register for an academy has impacted grassroots football. Um, I was talking about this today. You know, I, I think the the idea now that you have um, seven-year-olds uh, uh, who can be loosely involved in, in a pre-academy at a club like Leicester, and then that that is pretty young. And, and I think that's obviously... Had an effect on the standard of grassroots football because um, a lot of those guys and, and you know clubs like Leicester have resources to go and to go and look at good seven-year-olds and and naturally that's taken them out of the grassroots scene. Um, I think in in older guys' academies, you, you know, you couldn't be really formally involved with a football club until much later in your in your life and as a you know as a boy and um, it meant the grassroots. Scene was was of a, a real high standard, you know, because there wasn't any official way to be involved in an academy. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's probably a good time to be a young footballer and and you know have have a good standard and be involved in an academy. But it, it has had an effect on the grassroots scene. I'm I'm thinking people that have been around the grassroots game a lot longer than I have would would probably confirm that.
1: What about you, Scott? I think the one pathway that's really grown over the last few years, and I'll touch on quickly, is kind of the kind of players coming through like college schemes and a non-league game. I think that that's really grown over the last kind of five years for me. There's a lot more players who are coming into it later. So entering at under-17s, 18s, and even older later than that through through the, like the non-league pyramid. So I think that's one that's really growing, and a lot of clubs are putting kind of more resources into that as well now. Yeah, no, I think that, that
0: you see the sort of BTEC schemes and the football and education programs are massive, and the standard has gone through the roof there, hasn't it? And players going from those programs into professional contracts has has grown.
1: Um, I, I think what it does it allows boys to enter like a full time model. You know, they might not be ready to enter kind of an, an academy setting at that standard, but they go into a full time model, and then like like Jamie said earlier the cream always rises you know I mean and they they come in later and they get the opportunity at whatever level they are and and a lot more boys are coming into that program I think
0: yeah one, one thing I was going to say I'll, I'll bring Sol in on this one as well but what I was going to say are you guys as scouts heavily or certainly looking outside of the professional pathway because there's great level of talent out there that, that's not linked to academies even at the older ages. I mean, good. Sol, have you, do you want to jump in with that
4: one? or uh, Yeah, so um, I, I, I think it'd be good to sort of uh, to, like, I've, there's so many questions I do have realistically uh, around this whole thing, but I think one of the most predominant ones I was thinking when I was listening to a lot of what you were just saying there was, like, what are some of the biggest barriers that you, you find in talent development? And that's an open question. Whoever wants to take the <laughs> point, for it one ah.
1: Do you want me to jump
2: in? Yeah, go on.
4: Yeah, I, I think a lot of the time, like
1: it's around kind of what's already in the academy. So you might get a player who comes in who's who who's a really good player, but there might be already kind of three or four in his position in the academy who unfortunately have got that yeah. golden ticket. So, like Leo, we'll talk about our under fourteen I I won't name names, but it's it's a very strong group, and kind of trialists come into it. And they're not a million miles off it, but especially in their middle areas, them central areas, there's some top, top players in there. And I think that's often a bit a big barrier to boys, kind of what's already in the system. And we carry, we we, we looked at it last year, didn't we, Lee? We carry quite large age groups in, in them kind of middle ranges. And I think it's difficult for boys to come in because they've almost got to be battling above the two kind of top players in the group. So I think that's one big barrier for me is quite noticeable and a
4: lot of clubs will be the same. So do you, do you know like how much would uh, a scout or anyone involved in recruitment have much, would, would you measure anything like personality? Cause I think it was mentioned before. And is that something that you guys would ever consider?
1: Um, I, I definitely think so. I know we've we, our kind of sports psychologist at the club. He, he's very good. And they kind of works a lot with our nine, 16s and it's something we've kind of, we're going to try and bring in, and do a lot more education to our scouts, and looking how we, how we kind of measure the boys in the academy, and relate it to trialists as well. So it's definitely something a program. It's not not something we do at the moment, and something we're not great on. But it's something we're definitely looking to fix and grow, kind of over the next twelve months.
3: Can I um, interject? <laughs> yeah, go, <laughs> go for it, mate. I th- I think that there's so obviously over the the. Coronavirus time, you know, there's been plenty of time to indulge in, in a lot of the um, the research side of it, and I've been been reading a lot over this period about talent development, and I think to answer Sol's question, the some of the challenges on a on a more practical level around your personnel in an academy is that there often isn't a consensus about what talent is um and 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 that isn't my idea that's uh, somebody much smarter than me involved in <laughs> research but the the idea that and, and i can think of players that i work with day to day where you are convinced they are talented um you speak to a different department or a different member of staff and and they're not uh in the same uh mindset and it and I think in that it is very difficult I mean obviously there's there's players where there's there is a, a lot of consensus about how good they are but I think most most academy players divide opinion to some extent and I think that that is in some sense a barrier to to development because um, some of these guys are making decisions about release retain um, personally I think the best way to be is to allow you know a, a high amount of 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 uh, as minimal friction as you can in leaving the academy system, but then being still around and still available to come back in, uh, because I think I said before, you know, talent development's nonlinear, which is another problem, you know, uh, solved to be honest. But no. I think if if you make it as easy as you can for your release retains, sorry, your release players to to come back into your system if they change. Uh, you know, you, you have shadow squads, you have development centres, you, you know, you. Uh, Scott's got his grassroots set up. You know, is there a way that we can keep a close eye on this guy and make sure that if it takes, if he grows, if something changes, he can come back in? Um, and, and I think that's probably the most ethical thing to do with a lot of these players as well, because, you know, the, it's a major part of their lives, our decisions uh, and... Um, I think it's important to leave the pathway open for them to come back in if, if they get to a, a different place as a player.
4: Yeah, that. Do you know something that's really fascinating? Because like, there's so many different factors that are involved in talent ID, and um, one of the things that I've read in the research side of things is that with you see when you see the top one percent elite players or elite uh, Olympians, they've got several things about their personality that they can actually, uh, so for instance, one of the key metrics they have is a, a really good coping strategy. They tend to have something that's happened to them that's really quite uh, difficult or hard or to overcome in their younger life. And so they develop a coping strategy. So if they've had a bereavement or something, and then a coach is telling them like a few years later, oh, this, you know, do the X, Y, and Z, then they kind of go, well, that's easy. There's no problem in doing that. Uh, and so, I'm, with, with that kind of that's a link with personality, talent development. I was just wondering if there's any sort of commonalities that you see within the top elite that you've seen, like anything like that? Any weird obscurities?
0: Yeah, Jamie, what are your thoughts? You see a lot of players at the older age group, which which might have had
2: similarities. Any any thoughts on that? What? Just just sorry. Just say the question. I was listening, but just say the question again. So, what is it exactly that you're asking?
4: Sorry, do you know something? You've just been done by me because I'm an academic and I could talk all day. <laughs> no, so it's I, I was I listening,
2: am but then, but then so I thought sorry. of... Go on, say, say the question again.
4: Don't worry, I'm used to it. My students do it as well. They fall asleep when I'm chatting.
3: I'm <laughs>
4: uh, so, uh, uh, basically what I was saying is if there's any sort of commonalities or things that you see that are common amongst the, the lads that do make it, if that makes sense. And like the the question was kind of uh, preloaded with the idea that Olympians and the top one percent tend to develop coping strategies. If I that think, makes sense.
2: I th- I th- yeah, I think I think for me, I think I think the the, the ones that usually make it for me are the ones, and it sounds simple and it probably sounds a bit ridiculous, but they're hungrier. They're, they're a lot, lot hungrier than, than, than others. Now, you could have a, a 14, 15-year-old 15, 15 lad who is a very, very good player for his age group. He might be signed to an agency. He might have boots from a certain sports company. And, and what happens is sometimes... All this sort of all these materialistic things get sort of a bit too much, if you like, for for for, for certain players, and and you'll find that maybe if a bit of money's involved or, or whatever, they, the, the goal isn't now to be a professional footballer. It's more about the money. It's more about the flashness of of, of the cars and, and and the clothes. So for me, realistically, I, I find the ones that, that go on to sort of be the elite have probably had knockback after knockback. They've probably been to places and clubs that they probably don't necessarily don't want to go to, but they've had to go to, to then build their reputation and, and, and careers back up um, if I'm honest with you. And again, I think if, if you look at the, the sort of the current you know, England England national team, if you look at many of the players, they don't always start at your Man Uniteds and your Chelseas. A lot of them have come from your Sunderlands, from your Wiggins, from your That A lot of them have, have had to work hard to get where they've had to be, if that makes sense.
4: Yeah. Sorry, Lee, I just sort of almost hijacked your podcast there. I do no, apologise. No, that's, <laughs> well,
0: that's, that's great. Man. One of the things I was going to ask, which which links to that then, is is the future player so if our or if your role i guess it, or part of your role is to find a future first team player or or england player or, or whatever it may be i guess two two parts to this question what does in your opinion a future player look like the next top player and and sort of what are the things you might be looking at now in the young players to that will give them success in it might be a few years for you, Jamie. It could be 10 or 12 years, Jack or Scott, if you're looking at younger players. What are, what are your thoughts around that? I'll start with with you, Scott.
1: Um, I think there's kind of now a growing emphasis on players' ability to manage the ball. and I think that's across all the pitch. You're looking, there's been a massive role, changing role of defenders, kind of full-backs and centre-backs in recent years. So I think kind of Looking right down the age groups, I think it's their ability to manage the ball kind of individually and then within a team. I think that's kind of a growing trend. But I always have this conversation with our scouts how we're trying to find players for a game that doesn't even exist yet. Because the the game's changed from 10 years. It could look completely different in 10 years' time. So we're trying to find under-7s, under-8s, which sounds mad, to fit a game that possibly doesn't even exist yet. And you could be changing you kind of avenues in different ways as you go along but I think one thing that won't change is kind of the player's ability on the ball how he manages the ball individually how he manages it within his team I think that's something that's always going to be quite a consistent consistent point
0: Yeah, like that What about yourself, Jack? Anything different from that or do you agree?
3: Um No, I mean I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have a stab at avoiding answering the question again <laughs> I don't know if I've answered any of these um, No, I think that the the uh, I must just echo what Scott said. I mean, the if you think about what happened to football, you know, two thousand nine with Guardiola and, and how that changed the role of the goalie and the centre half. You know, you, you you only needed to see in, in senior football the, the 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 goalkeepers that were kind of left behind with that transition, and so for academies to. Bring in an under nine with an idea or, or a desire to see them play the first team one day. It, there, there's there's obviously a, a, a problem with the way the the rule changes in the sport or the system changes in the sport can 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 render them you know a little bit redundant. And there, there's hopefully always somewhere for them to go. Uh, I think probably in, in the analysis circles that I uh, talk and, and move in, I'm aware of some match analysis and some game models which are really going to sort of push and challenge the way that we uh the way that coaches can look to set up their games and 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 how will that impact on on our academy players um but uh, again to agree with scott and borrow a lot of his answers the um <laughs> successful players to me are are, are technically very good and and um, they're not too hard to spot as well, which is which is also very helpful to scouts. But um, I think things like press resistance, uh, you know, with, with you know, the, there's a there's a heavy kind of push on on pressing systems and in first team football. So players who can kind of retain that ball under under pressure and and, and do something clever with it are, are always going to be uh, helpful to clubs and and hopefully for the next uh, fifteen years at least. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Jamie, you're you're obviously looking at players slightly closer to the first team in in age-wise. What what are the things you're heavily focusing on right now, or or when football gets back underway across the board? Is there anything as a
2: specific need for you? To be honest, I, I've I've this is something for now, but it's also for the future, and it's and it's always one thing that I sort of um, sway towards every time that I, I watch a player and, and that literally is, you know, you, you'll see a player and he might stand out in a game. And 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 for a kid that's 13, 14, 15, 16, you know that because of their age and, and maybe who they're playing against or positions, they're not always gonna be consistent. There's no way that a kid that age can be. So what I tend to look for is when I see a player is what more have they got to come is this player the finished article or how can this player develop more what more has he got to give because if you're looking at a great 14 15 year old and I've seen many of them but by the time they get to 1718 what happens is they 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 are now no longer the best player on the pitch all the time they're now they're now, no longer the the strongest most powerful player on the pitch so usually those sorts of players get found out so that I, I tend to watch players from a younger age group 16 17 18 and if i watch them for long enough i'll I'll notice straight away as they're playing with higher age groups what more has this lad got to give because if he get if, if he if he gets to the age of under 18 and he's playing with people his own age but he's now not probably shining like he was two or three years ago. Is, is, he, is, he, is he physically done as a footballer? Is he technically done? You know, Is he aware of his game understanding? You know, What more has this individual got to give to be an even better player? So that's the one thing that I always stand by, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I like that. And, and that obviously, that's a bit of a gut feeling, I guess, isn't it? And, and coming with your, ex, your years of experience to... To kind of, it's predicting the future or trying to, isn't it? It's a really difficult thing to do. Yeah, I
2: think, I think, I think you can never necessarily, you know, predict the future. I think, I think there has been probably a handful of players in my time doing this work that you could handpick and say. Yeah, these guys assert, and and, and, and the, I'd say the most recent one, based upon that, is, is probably Jude Bellingham, who's obviously now found his uh, his, his career in a, in a, in Germany and whatnot. And and as as a 13, 14 year old, you know, he was somebody who stuck out like a sore thumb. Not only um, you know uh, f- you know physically, but technically, he, he was he was outstanding. And even if he played two years above himself. He'd still be outstanding. And, and, and that's what I mean about what I just previously said. What more has this player got to give? Well, if he's playing two years above himself and he's shining, he's clearly got an awful lot more to give. And and, and that's why, you know, he, he's gone on to play first-team football for, for for Birmingham. And he's he's just made, uh, you know, himself a great transfer to Dortmund. So, you know, the fu- future for him is, is, is obviously very, very bright.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's That's the they talk about talent that screams and talent that whispers, don't they? And the sort of the underdog, I think you touched on it earlier, Jack, or the, mm. or the one that just slaps you in the face from day one. But, um, just starting to, to slow, slow this one down. And, uh, obviously the opposite to sort of players coming in is, is, uh, is players going out. And obviously not every player gets the news they want from an academy. Um, <clears throat> but what, what, sort of advice or tips might you have for any, any players that receive bad news at a, at a club or or don't gain the contract that they want and sort of what about next steps or or secondary pathways have you
1: got any any ideas or, or expertise on that Scott? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a case of kind of not turning any opportunities down like you know we, we had a lot of boys last year who we were kind of you see a lot of boys come out of a Cat 1 environment and they want to jump back into it but I think there's some great stories and great examples that we've had from boys going into non-league clubs and coming back out. I think you go and play at any level that gives you that opportunity. And I think a lot of boys can turn the noses up at things like that. So I think if you're presented with an opportunity to go and trial somewhere or get back on the pathway, whatever level it will be, I think the boys have got to be open-minded with it. Yeah, like that, Scott. Uh,
2: sorry, Jamie, Jack. Any anything different to that, or um, to be honest with you, I, I I would sort of mirror what Scott Scott said there. To be in it, um, to be honest with you, just because I I know firsthand, I um, sort of away from my my stuff with Tottenham, I work, um, I've got my sort of own. Physical and, and technical coaching business, and I, I know lads that have been um, unfortunately, you know, taken out of of, of academy systems at the ages, you know, 16, 17 and eighteen, and a lot of them have been offered to go to a non-league club, but naturally, because they've been in that environment for five, six, seven, eight years, for them, from them to go from a, a top cat one club down to a national league club or a league two club on trial, a lot of them turn their noses up because they they either think that they're better than that or they're sort of downgrading, you know, you know I, I, I don't want to be going there, you know, I, I, I want to be going uh, to, a, to as big a club as possible. And, you know, there's there's so many players that have, have, have been, you know, not offered contracts um, and, and released from clubs. Um, but as I said previously, that, you know, that hard work, that hunger, that determination, I think, you know, a lot of lads um, sort of will do extra work they won't only go and train with a you know a local side a non-league side they'll be doing whatever they can to try and get back into a professional club as quick as possible and you know obviously Vard is he's, he's, he's a great example of that you know he was turned down so many times and, and you know he was saw by that, that one person who, who gave him the belief that you know he, he could go on and, and and make it back into the football league. So I I always think if 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 unfortunately you've been taken out of a, an academy or professional environment that that's not the end for you. That you know if if you believe in yourself and you've got good people around you, as I say, the cream will always rise to the top.
0: Yeah, like you like you said, you never know who's watching, do you? And. I think getting exposure and, and getting your... You're not going to be spotted if you're not on a pitch somewhere, are you? So I think that's really important. And, and to bring you back in, Sol, we, we were talking, and this might link in well yeah. to the importance not just of trials at specific clubs, but opportunity to attend trial days and, and get yourself... For players just to get themselves out there. Are they... I mean, jump on this one, Sol, but I guess are they yeah. the kind of things that you as scouts would also turn your eyes to at certain times of the year after retain and release?
4: Sorry, is that directed towards me? So, uh, yes, so I sure guess, everyone,
0: but you, you, can, if you jump in with your, your thoughts, because ah. I think, like we said, about the importance yeah, of players think... being out there and getting seen.
4: Yeah, I think um, it, it looks like uh, there's there's a, a really clear system that's kind of working within the the football uh, industry. Um, but there's also, as as you kind of guys have already identified, there's areas where you know players do get missed, like your Jamie Vardy's, uh, or not necessarily missed, but you know maybe um, they've been given certain. Um, opportunities to develop and then they've had to go down to come back up and um you know that's a, a real fascinating thing about the the whole football system and how it's working at the minute which kind of ties in i think with some of the things i'm trying to do with the pitch system that i've got uh because guys like one of the things i would probably say about it is that um it's it's like like uh it's like the validated linkedin so for a player to go on there they put their test results in and then they can they can uh they can uh, get their test scores validated, and then it uses the four corner model of the FA. Um, so, um, the the idea being that this this system is only used for released players for eighteen to twenty three, so that they can they can uh, hopefully get a greater exposure of their talent. And uh, with that as well, one of the intentions of pitches is to actually put on a trial day of only released players, so that uh, it's basically giving uh, an opportunity to players to have the best possible chance uh of exposure for their talent uh and with this trial day the idea or the intention is to kind of do it like the the combine so they'll do like a series of fitness tests then they'll do like a psychometric or personality based test and then they'll go and do uh like a a couple of uh like game specific uh roles and then they'll go and do like a trial game or two well, the whole time by well, the scouts and coaches, hopefully, if they're interested, would be watching. And I kind of guess, guess that kind of leads into you guys as scouts. There, sorry, there's a lot in there, wasn't there? Again, academic. I am so sorry. Um, uh, the idea being behind that trial day, uh, whether that would be a useful tool for you guys as scouts. So, I guess uh, uh, Scott, if you want to jump in on that.
1: Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, there's obviously some similar things. That already exist but not to the level you've just talked about like the kind of whole wide ranging ideas of kind of your different four quarter four areas and I think it'd be, it'd be definitely good for like we, we certainly recommend scouts to go to any event like that because you never know what's going to turn up or what's going to be there but I think with what you're saying we've kind of looking at it from a whole wide ranging like aspects of the player it would definitely give us a better idea of him rather than just turn up watching a trial game and trying to develop that we'd have a whole host of data that we can have a look at and really assessing one
4: yeah so i think also that that's like a Hopefully the intention of the uh, the, the trial day. But um, the, the, the other thing is also to kind of have it as a conference for scouts, because one of the things that seems to be quite prevalent in the area of scouting and player recruitment is that you guys tend to talk to each other. And like you said, yeah. you kind of you kind of it seems like a really good skill or trade to have is to be able to network and talk to each other and kind of, uh, you know, say like what the developments are that are going on. Um, but so uh, I think if I was going to direct that again, sort of similar question towards uh, Jamie, uh, what what would you think about the usefulness of a a trial day like that? And, um, do do you see, uh, the future landscape somewhat changing with everything that's happened with COVID-19 as well, I guess with that?
2: Um, to be honest, I think the trial days, I think they're, they're a great shout because again, there's you, you you could you could pick up a player um, from there. I think I think from from working in a club now for a while. I think you know both the other guys will probably agree with me. It's very very rare that a club will re- will release a player that other clubs will be shocked by. And what I mean by that is naturally again. The, the, the better players will have those pre-sort pre of scholarships offered to them early and they'll be made sure that, you know, they, they do not leave that club. I think, I think for maybe your, not lower end, but if you're a, a League One, League Two club, I think that um, trial days, I think, are great because, again, you know, come back to sort of money – obviously not not a lot of clubs have 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 money to spend um and and for a scout to go out and be able to watch 22 free agents on a football pitch and be able to probably identify areas that that specific age group are looking for i I think it's brilliant i think from from my own sort of knowledge and, and, and expertise over the last five years. We don't tend to do that with Tottenham and again I think that that goes back to rightly or wrongly, by the way, but I think it goes back to you know why would why would Tottenham maybe take a boy that's been released from West Ham or um, Chelsea? because if they were if 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 they were truly a top top player then Chelsea and and West Ham wouldn't be wouldn't be releasing those type of players um and again as i say that's that's not necessarily my own opinion i think that's more of just a a club sort of philosophy that that they they will already have probably the best players from the this sort of catchment area around london they'll always be on the lookout for better players but very rarely would they take a player that had probably been released from another club. But again, I think that's just because they're a top cat one club. As I say, if you're, if you're maybe a, a cat two or three club, I, I could totally understand why, why you would, um, you know, want to go to something like that. A hundred percent.
4: Yeah. I think that's uh, the, the interesting because there seems to be a kind of a downward mobility of players anyway. Uh, and like, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, but, with regards to the release of players, like especially with the Cat One academies, but I guess with a, a released player between eighteen to twenty-three, that could almost serve as a as the catalyst for some of these things, like a coping strategy or more desire to to do better. So they they start to develop that. I guess is one of the things that could happen from a player being released. Um, uh, Jack, what's what's your thoughts on 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 that trial idea?
3: Yeah, I mean. Uh... Excuse me. I, I think it's, um, I, I suppose for Cat 1 clubs, they don't have necessarily some of the uh, problem with resources. It seems like it would be fairly easy for us to allocate someone to, to go to that game. As as Scott's mentioned and Jamie's mentioned, you know, it's it seems win-win, you know, as far as I'm concerned. If you've got a player who's been released that... You, a lot of the hard work is, is already done for them to showcase their ability. Um, and Cat 2, Cat 3 clubs are going to be interested in those guys. Uh, and Cat 1 clubs are going to have the resources to, to cover the event or facility. I mean, I think personally, pitch side scouting in, in academies is very difficult because unlike in other countries where you're, you're given lots of information on the players you're watching, Uh, academies in in the UK are very different, very secretive. You know, you you have to stand in sometimes very strange areas of the pitch and they're not too forthcoming about their players. And I think that's a culture, uh, uh, not to say it's right or wrong, um, but to come to something where you've already got everything you need uh, is uh, heaven for me.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's uh, the idea. Like, so one of the the kind of... uh, sort of standpoints that are taken in in developing this kind of trial day and pitch and everything is to kind of have an ethical and moral stance on it as well. Yeah. It does sound like,
3: like, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, it it does sound very, uh, very beneficial to players who've, who've had a hard time. And, and as I said, I I think I slightly disagree with Jamie. I, 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 I think that some of the releases from clubs are, not always football decisions, um, and I think if kids are going through growth spurts, lo- you know, lower down the ages, sometimes they can get released because they're uncoordinated around uh, their bodies during that time, and, and it and it makes them look poorer. I think, as I said before, there's there's a lot of randomness in release retain, and I think it it what you're doing, Sol, does sound like you're doing a lot of hard work for a lot of boys who. We've butted heads with the system that's maybe not the best at getting it right every time. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's a good good shout. Oh,
4: cheers. Thanks for the insight, guys. And Lee, <laughs> I can only apologise again for hijacking. Yeah, you're a far better, far better host than me, mate. You really are. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bow down to you and your no, uh,
0: host. You're welcome, host. mate. <laughs> Just just to, just to start to wrap up, lads, last question before we go into our quickfire ones and, and I want a, a very short answer. Start with you, Scott. What do you see the future of scouting looking like?
1: Um, Good question. I, th- I think there'll be a lot more... I think what, what COVID's done is highlighted different ways to do things. I think there'll be a lot more online stuff. I think there'll be a lot more avenues of players uploading clips and there'll be a lot more video stuff, I would think. Um, Jack's in heaven there
3: yeah Yeah, thank God
1: yeah I I think think that's what yeah I think that that one for me the avenue that would would grow and develop
2: over the next few years yeah
0: do you you agree with that
1: Jamie?
2: Uh, yeah absolutely I don't think there's there's necessarily much to add to that I think again just based upon my time at Tottenham I think this is probably a little bit more senior but again I know I know some of the guys there have I've the uh, a sort of room that they call the little black box and basically <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll have a coach or a scout in there and they'll literally have three or four games on from anywhere around the world of, of maybe potential targets or maybe just games that they've not watched of a club um, and, and they will literally sit all day and just watch games they'll take notes they'll add them onto the system so that at any point that maybe if I was to go and watch an international game or a tournament I would already have some background information on maybe someone that might have already been flagged up from the little black box I mean for me I prefer I prefer going into games, I prefer everything being live. I think sometimes you you take what you can from from a video, but I don't always think that you sort of get the sort of the same as the you know the, the same sort of thing that you would get from seeing somebody live but You know, I think um, video analysis has become a lot more of a big thing because you don't need to be sending scouts into games. You don't need to get rejections from clubs. You, You can you can just sit and watch these. So I think they're a good tool. But again, I think for me going forward, you always have to have scouts out and about who are actually watching games. I think, I think to be able to identify a top talent and if you're, especially again at a cat one club, if you're on about and you're seriously on about buying uh, a player and spending money on them, I don't think that you can afford to, to have done your homework via video. So um, a, a mix of both for me, I think videos are good, but I think you naturally have to back it up with actually being there live. And I think you get, to more of a feel of the player as as well when you're live. Yeah.
0: Do you need to answer that one, Jack, or are you are you firmly fighting the flag for statistics?
3: No, no. I, I think <laughs> I'm, I want to keep it short because. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I I I think um, Sevilla's uh, football guy and Monchi the director there, said he's never signed a player that um he'd only seen on video but he'd never signed a player that he hadn't seen on video if that uh, if you can sort of pick that one apart so yeah, yeah. there's there's an idea that yes i want to see them on video and i also want to see them live and not uh, pitch side scouting's part of my role you can see things at a game that you can't see on the video you can see things on video that you don't see at a game so i i, I think um i'm Professionally obliged to say, combine the two of them and, <laughs> and uh, discover your talent that way. <laughs>
0: Great stuff. Right, chaps, I, I do appreciate your time. So this is the last three questions and we'll make them as, as quick as you can. We'll go Scott, Jamie, Jack in that order. Ready? So, Scott, start with you. Best Premier League player of all time?
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Best Premier League player of all time. I'm going to go a favourite of mine. I'm going to say Thierry Henry
2: here we Jamie. To be fair, that that's the one name that springs to mind for me. I think, I think, I think it's got to be him. Good show. I'm an Arsenal fan, so you two are well there.
3: <laughs> Jack Cole, do you agree? Um, well, I, it's tempting to give a kind of analysis, you know the uh, the <laughs> highest path. <laughs> this pass. is quick I'm fire, Yeah, I'm just going to go straight from the hip. Um I think probably it is. Um, um, Can we edit this pause out, please? Mark? Yeah, on, just uh, crop name. this one down. Um, I really like... Uh... We'll come back to you, mate. Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Scott, best Premier League manager or coach of all time?
1: Again, this is going to be a, a a contentious one, but I'm going to go Mourinho. I, I love him.
2: Mourinho, Jamie, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? Um, I like, yeah, I like him. I think I think is good. I think I think when he first came to Chelsea to where he is now, I wouldn't necessarily say he's he's you know the special one, if you like. I think when he first <laughs> came, I think he was he was outstanding, but I do think that. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say he's, for me, I wouldn't say he's the greatest manager. I think you've you have to you can't really look further than than I'd probably you know Ferguson um, for for what he did at United and, and and everything that he won there. But I think I, I like Guardiola as well. To be honest, I think I think he's been a breath of fresh air to the uh, to the Premier League. Some good shouts there, Jack. Have you got a player and a manager for me yet?
3: Yeah, two for one. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get to go. Paul Scholes. I just, hey, you know, it's, uh, it's happened. I've said it, and <laughs> I think Ferguson's got to be a guy, hasn't he? He's uh, absolute royalty. Like, go, it's Guardiola's done. nice, but hey, you know,
0: <laughs> to... yeah, yeah, he's got to do a few more years, has not he, to get up. Yeah,
3: Alex. yeah.
0: Uh, last question, and we always ask. Is I did prompt you, so I hope you. You got your notes ready. Uh, your all-time England eleven, starting with you, Mister Curry.
1: All oh, right, let me just work out where I, I put it.
3: <laughs> hang, on, hang on, hang on, let me find it. I'm glad Sorry. that everyone's prepared this already because I've <laughs> yeah I've done the same. <laughs> it was probably the best part of my day, to be honest.
1: Right, I, I went and it, it, I kind of kind of stuck to players kind of within my kind of football era. I didn't really go back more, much before that, so I went. Kind of Joe Hart in goal. And then a real... I put this in my friend's group, to be fair. And I got hammered for the right back. But I went (laughs) Trent. I think he's a brilliant footballer. And I know he's not done much in an England shirt yet. But I think he will. And I know everyone was battering me saying Gary Neville should have gone in there. But I think Trent Alexander-Arnold is the modern-day fullback at the moment. Kind of the rest of the back four. Then I went Terry, John Terry, Rio and Ashley Cole. I went a midfield to a Gerrard and Lampard, um, then I went Beckham out wide right, Sterling wide left, and then Rooney in behind Alan Shearer. It's not a bad. That's not a bad
0: team. Yeah. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold has been mentioned before, mate. So you're okay. not the only one. I'm not the so, only one. Jamie, what's your eleven, mate?
2: Uh, again, I'm probably realistically looking at sort of late eighties up to present. So again. You know, I'm looking David Seaman in goal. Um, I think I've got a back four. So I've got Gary Neville, I've got Rio. I've actually gone for Terry Butcher, and I've got okay. Ashley Cole. And then my four-man midfield, I've got Beckham, I've got Gascoigne, I've got Skulls and I've got John Barnes. And then I've got a front two of Shearer and Lineker. And to be honest, I could have, I could have threw a young Michael Owen in there, to be honest, but I, 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 I'll, I'll go for, I'll, I'll go for, I'll go for Lineker. That's a, that's a strong lineup, mate. That
0: that's is a good really one,
2: Jamie. <laughs> what about yours, Jack?
3: Yeah, well, I've, um, you could probably guess the year I was born with this. I, I've sort of, like Scott, I've tried to stick with players I've seen, but there is a couple of honourable mentions. I've got Shilton and Goal, just for sheer longevity. Uh, I think he's the most capped England guy out there. So I'm happy with that. Phil Neal at right back because he was born where I was born. So it's just a a compassionate uh, (laughs) inclusion. And then Terry Fernand at the back, Ashley Cole left back. Uh, The rest of the guys, it's it's a one for one as the rest. The one holding mid is Michael Carrick because I think he was criminally overlooked as an England player and I'm I'm bringing him into the big the big team here I'm gonna try and make up for that um, this is controversial Joe out on the left because I've just had to had to crowbar him in <laughs> and, uh, Beckham on the right I mean no one's going to argue with that Lampard and Scholes as your center two and then Rooney up front on his own doing the business fantastic
0: gentlemen. We could talk for days about whose team would win, but that's for... Uh, late. And uh, I really do appreciate your time. Thank you, Sol, for, for joining us also. It's been an absolute yeah, cheers, pleasure to to dig deeper into scouting. And I wish all you guys the best of um, <coughs> luck when we get back out there. And, and hopefully you can be back beside a football pitch in no time. Thank you very much. Cheers, Thank Lee. You Lee.
2: Thanks, guys.
3: Thank
0: you. So, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed chatting to the guys and and learning a little bit more about scouting and player recruitment. Uh, Please, please, please do go and subscribe to the podcast, share, comment, give it a five star rating. I really do appreciate it. All your support and feedback has been great. Um, So, yeah, if you get five minutes, wherever you get your podcast from, please do subscribe. Hopefully, see you all very soon. Take care. If you are a scout or coach looking to find or help players, then Pitch is the website for you. It's a startup, but the idea is to complement the scout's role in finding talent, especially in lower leagues. Pitch is likely to arrange trial days in the future, so a scout might be very interested to make a profile. For a coach, it's about the onward development and mental health of released players, helping them find a team or club and provide a talent ID and development reference on pitch. So make a profile today at www.pitchrmt.com.